work this at. This call is being and recorded. Be white. And my best friend, she uh, took me to be white. She was shocked when I told her I'm not white. I am black. I am a black person. And it was, well, you're, you're not that. You think you are. No, I know I am. I was raised that way. But I was also raised, as mom would say, it doesn't matter what color your skin is. We all serve one God. Now, as you know, this is my home. Over here is my daughter's home, Jessica. Everybody else in here, we're all kinfolks. That's how this community got to be mixed with white and black. It was from the black children. Our children going out marrying white and bringing them in. A lot of them was as light as I am, but we still said we were black. And then we had some real dark ones, but that's okay. They were black, we were black. So that's how this all got started. My grandma, she was half Turk, half black. My grandpa was a white man. My mom registered me as black. My mom was a, she wasn't as fair complected as I am. She was a light tan brown. My dad, he has German, Irish, white. Well, his mother was a white woman. His dad was a colored man. And then as I grew older and I got married and I had my children, I registered my children as black. I have found that stone that was here down the mountain. Most of them in this area goes as black. We've got maybe two, three families that considers themselves being white, but the rest of us in here, we consider ourselves being black. You know this country is precious, always have been, and it never out of it. I was in the service in 66. Yeah, I circled black, Negro. He said, you can't circle that. I said, that's what I am. Well, he kind of smiled. And he said, circle this. I said, okay, which meant Caucasian. I didn't show my collar, but I know what I was. And I ain't going to tell you my race. My mom raised me as Negroes. Oh, I had a lot of people ask me, say, why did your mom raise you as a Negro? I said, that's what I am. He said, yeah, but you don't show it. I said, it's going to come a time where white won't accept you and then Negroes will accept you. I said, I'll, I'll wait it out. <laughs> that's all you can do. Shout the victorious. Oh, yes. He'll break through the blue. Yes, Sun, golden day, break for me and for you. Amen. Growing up, I was always taught that I was black. I started into school and um, didn't really think much about it until I got into the elementary. I'm going to say around about third or fourth grade. That's when I started noticing the difference. I started noticing I was being taught that I was black but I didn't look black. Uh, other children didn't view me as black. Even some of those other kids made fun of me because why are you saying you're black when you're white? It wasn't until I reached about junior high and then I realized I'm white. That is what I am. Yes, I know I was raised black and was told I was black, but I am white. 
what black person has blonde hair, blue eyes, and fair complexion and can hardly tan besides Bernie? I'm white. You don't have to look black I to be black. I know she don't look black, but she has got black in her. She's right. She's got a lot of different kind in her. But I am her mother. I stand on the black. She did not stand. Only for so long of a time she stood as for black. When she got into school, into Waverly School, she let the people in Waverly change her thinking, her feeling. I didn't. I still stood for what I was, what my mother told me I was. I didn't care what I had to go through. I still stood for it. When I finally made the decision to go as white, I did feel guilty about it. It did, in a way, break my heart. It's nothing against my family. And it doesn't mean that I don't like black people or love black people or care for black people. I do. And like I told her, I can't be racist. And I know that. And I would never want to be, even if, even if I chose to be. I couldn't. I don't want that for myself or for my children. You're never going to get to the top of that mountain, I'm telling you. The black blood in you is going to stay there. And whether you want to accept it or not, there is going to be people to pick it out of you whether you mention East Jackson or not. I went to a doctor in Waverly a couple good years back. And on that application, it asked my race. And I put black. The woman come out and said to me, how can you be black? And I kind of stared at her because she threw me off. She said, I have never seen a black person, fair complected, blue eyes, freckles, and red hair. I said, well, surprise, you see her now. And she wanted to change my race. She was aiming on marking out the black and putting white. And I told her, don't you do that. I know what I go by. I know what I am. You leave it there. I will never, ever deny my race for what my mother had brought me up and raised me and had put me as. I will always be that until the day I leave this earth. If you sucked all of the moisture out of your brain and broke it down to its constituent nutritional content, what would it look like? Most of the weight of your dehydrated brain would come from fats, also known as lipids. In the remaining brain matter, you would find proteins and amino acids, traces of micronutrients, and glucose. The brain is, of course, more than just the sum of its nutritional parts, but each component does have a distinct impact on functioning, development, mood, and energy. So that post-lunch apathy or late-night alertness you might be feeling, well, that could simply be the effects of food on your brain. Of the fats in your brain, the superstars are omegas 3 and 6, these essential fatty acids which have been linked to preventing degenerative brain conditions must come from our diets. So eating omega-rich foods like nuts, seeds, and fatty fish is crucial to the creation and maintenance of cell membranes. And while omegas are good fats for your brain, 
long-term consumption of other fats, like trans and saturated fats, may compromise brain health. Meanwhile, proteins and amino acids, the building block nutrients of growth and development, manipulate how we feel and behave. Amino acids contain the precursors to neurotransmitters, the chemical messengers that carry signals between neurons, affecting things like mood, sleep, attentiveness, and weight. They're one of the reasons we might feel calm after eating a large plate of pasta, or more alert after a protein-rich meal. The complex combinations of compounds in food can stimulate brain cells to release mood-altering norepinephrine, dopamine, and serotonin. But getting to your brain cells is tricky, and amino acids have to compete for limited access. A diet with a range of foods helps maintain a balanced combination of brain messengers and keeps your mood from getting skewed in one direction or the other. Like the other organs in our bodies, our brains also benefit from a steady supply of micronutrients. Antioxidants in fruits and vegetables strengthen the brain to fight off free radicals that destroy brain cells, enabling your brain to work well for a longer period of time. And without powerful micronutrients like the vitamins B6, B12, and folic acid, our brains would be susceptible to brain disease and mental decline. Trace amounts of the minerals iron, copper, zinc, and sodium are also fundamental to brain health and early cognitive development. In order for the brain to efficiently transform and synthesize these valuable nutrients, it needs fuel, and lots of it. While the human brain only makes up about 2% of our body weight, it uses up to 20% of our energy resources. Most of this energy comes from carbohydrates that our body digests into glucose or blood sugar. The frontal lobes are so sensitive to drops in glucose, in fact, that a change in mental function is one of the primary signals of nutrient deficiency. Assuming that we are getting glucose regularly, how does the specific type of carbohydrates we eat affect our brains? Carbs come in three forms, starch, sugar, and fiber. While on most nutrition labels, they are all lumped into one total carb count, the ratio of the sugar and fiber subgroups to the whole amount affect how the body and brain respond. A high glycemic food, like white bread, causes a rapid release of glucose into the blood, and then comes the dip. Blood sugar shoots down, and with it, our attention span and mood. On the other hand, oats, grains, and legumes have slower glucose release, enabling a steadier level of attentiveness. For sustained brain power, Opting for a varied diet of nutrient-rich foods is critical. When it comes to what you bite, chew, and swallow, your choices have a direct and long-lasting effect on the most powerful organ in your body. Deception is always the best strategy, but the best deceptions require a smokescreen to distract people's attention from your real purpose. And no one did this better than Haile Selassie. In the mid-1920s, the powerful warlords of Ethiopia were coming to the realization that a young man of the nobility named Haile Selassie, also known as Rastafari, was outcompeting them all and nearing the point where he could proclaim himself as their leader, unifying the country for the first time in decades. 
most of his rivals could not understand how this wispy, quiet, mild-mannered man had been able to take control. Yet in 1927, Selassie was able to summon the warlords one by one to come to Addis Ababa to declare their loyalty and recognize him as leader. Some hurried, others hesitated, but only one, a warlord by the name of Balcha, dared to defy Selassie totally. Balcha was a blustery man and a great warrior, and he considered the new leader to be weak and unworthy. Finally, Selassie, in his gentle but stern way, commanded Bolcher to come. The warlord decided to obey, but in doing so, he would turn the tables on this pretender to the Ethiopian throne. He would come to Addis Ababa at his own speed and with an army of 10,000 men, a force large enough to defend himself, perhaps even start a civil war. Stationing this formidable force in a valley three miles from the capital, he waited, as a king would, Selassie would have to come to him. Selassie did indeed send emissaries asking Bolcher to attend an afternoon banquet in his honour. But Bolcher was no fool. He knew history. He knew the previous kings and lords of Ethiopia had used banquets as a trap. Once he was there and full of drinks, Selassie would have him arrested or even murdered. To signal his understanding of the situation, he agreed to come to the banquet, but only if he could bring his personal bodyguard, 600 of his very best soldiers, all armed and ready to defend him and themselves. To Bolcher's surprise, Selassie answered with the utmost politeness that he would be honoured to play host to such warriors. On the way to the banquet, Bolcher warned his soldiers not to get drunk and to be on their guard. When they arrived at the palace, Selassie was his charming best. He deferred to Balcha, treating him as if he desperately needed his approval and cooperation. But Balcha refused to be charmed, and he warned Selassie that if he did not return to his camp by nightfall, his army had orders to attack the capital. Selassie reacted as if he was hurt by this mistrust. Over the meal, when it came time for the traditional singing of songs in honour of the Ethiopian leaders, he made a point of allowing only songs honouring the warlord Balcha. It seemed to Balcha that Selassie was scared, intimidated by this great warrior who could not be outwitted. Sensing the change, Balcha believed that he would be the one to call the shots in the days to come. At the end of the afternoon, Balcha and his soldiers began their march back to the camp amidst cheers and gun salutes. Looking back to the capital over his shoulder, he planned his strategy. How his soldiers would march through the capital in triumph within weeks, and Selassie would be put in his place. His place being either prison or death. When Bolcher came inside of his camp, however, he saw that something was terribly wrong. Where before there had been colourful tents stretching as far as the eye could see, now there was nothing. Only smoke from doused fires. What was going on? A witness told Bolcher what had happened. During the banquet, a large army, commanded by an ally of Selassie, had stolen up on Bolcher's encampment by a side route that they hadn't seen. This army had not come to fight, however, knowing that Bolcher would have heard a noisy battle and hurried back with his 600-man bodyguard. Selassie had armed his own troops with baskets of gold and cash. They had surrounded Bolcher's army and proceeded to buy every last one of their weapons. Those who refused were easily intimidated. Within a few hours, Bolcher's entire force had been disarmed and scattered in all directions. Realizing his danger, Bolcher decided to march south with his 600 soldiers to regroup, but the same army that had disarmed his soldiers blocked their way. The other way out was to march to the capital, but Selassie had sent his army to defend that. Like a chess player, he had predicted Bolcher's moves and had checkmated him. For the first time in his life, Bolcher surrendered. To repent of his sins of pride and ambitions, he agreed to enter a monastery. Bolcher's last words as he entered the monastery were, Do not underestimate the power of Tafari. He creeps like a mouse, but he has jaws like a lion. 
Throughout Selassie's long reign, no one could quite figure him out. Ethiopians liked their leaders fierce, but Selassie, who wore the front of a gentle, peace-loving man, lasted longer than any of them. Never angry or impatient, he lured his victims with sweet smiles, lulling them with charm and obsequiousness before he attacked. In the case of Boucher, Selassie played on the man's wariness, his suspicion that the banquet was a trap, which in fact it was, but not the one that he expected. Selassie's way of allaying Boucher's fears, letting him bring his bodyguard to the banquet, giving him top billing there, making him feel in control, created a thick smokescreen, concealing the real action that was happening three miles away. The paranoid and the wary are often easy to deceive. If you win their trust in one area, you have a smokescreen that can blind them in another. Properly set up, the smokescreen is a weapon of great power. It enabled the gentle Selassie to totally destroy his enemy without even firing a single bullet. Well, I hope you enjoyed this, guys. This was an excerpt from one of my favorite books, which is The 48 Laws of Power. There's so many great... Blacks pulled up to the Spencer home. Police cordoned off both ends of the block to try to keep the angry whites away. These people want anything and they don't want to work for anything. This is what they want. They come up from the South, they go on welfare. They come from Puerto Rico, they go on welfare. We're sick of paying for these people. Does he have a right to live here? No. Because he's black. He's black. I'm afraid of them. Of who? Of them, the blacks. I'm afraid to go out at night. You get a minority group in any uh, area, you see what happens to it. It's all welfare. They don't answer the area. And they don't live like human beings. They live like animals, and that's what they are, animals. I don't like them. No woman in Rosedale. Why not? No part of Rosedale. We just wanted a white neighborhood. No blacks at all. That's all all we're asking for. We want to keep the neighborhood the way it is. We want to keep it the way it is. What do you think the black people? I don't like them. Why? I really don't. Because if one starts to live most of the whole pack's coming. Ah!
Atlanta Revolt TV was having a summit on race. Uh, it was attended by a lot of people. One of the questions that was asked, and I think T.R. did it so appropriately and in passion, uh, when was America great? If you are not a rich white man in America, it has never been. It could be, but then that would take away from them because you know what? Wealth needs a victim. Wealth needs somebody to take advantage of. So it'll sell you on the idea of greatness. It'll tell you it's attainable, but it'll always snatch the rug from it. It's like we're a bunch of Charlie Browns. Every time we go to kick the football, they move it. Right now in America, right now, the company, Purdue, that got America on Oxycontins is now going to declare bankruptcy to do what? To not live up to its financial responsibility because 2,600 people are doing it, are, are suing them, and to keep all the money it made from hooking America on those opens. Is that great? And they're going to be abetted by the laws that we put in place to make sure people like that can always take advantage of. It. Always. Right now in America, even when black people did get wealth and accrue wealth, what happened? There was something that always took it. And it wasn't just angry racists. It was systematic uh, oppression by the government. Look where the highways go to connect America together. Look what, look what neighborhoods they went through. Those were black, wealthy people who were homeowners. They used imminent domain, and they took it away from them and gave them nothing, really. 105 Freeway, my grandmother lived, bought, had a house, owned it. Imagine what that house would be worth in fair market value today. But the government did it, and they did it on purpose. So every single time there has started to be some level of ascent, they have, they, they've tore us down. Look at look at all the things that have happened. When have black and brown people ever been given an opportunity for a quality education? Well, how many new schools you've seen in our neighborhood? New books, new opportunities. We get the old ones. You know what happens? We move to a neighborhood, they move out, and we get that school. There's never been a focus on it. We spend more on destroying than we do building. We spend way more to blow the world up than to feed it. How is that great? And even as, as they suggested in that summit, we took those 10 things and said, either you do these 10 things for us or we stay home. You don't understand. That's what they do. If you get what you want and then you turn away, you know what you, if you got everything you wanted politically and, and you turned away from everybody else, you know what you'd be? A wealthy white man. You want to act like them. That wouldn't do anything about the way our, our, our healthcare system. It wouldn't do anything about the way children are put in cages, about how discriminatory our practices are, about uh, over-incarceration. wouldn't do anything about any of those things, but you would have some money. When was America great? And if I hear one more person that tries to get me to believe, well, Republicans, they freed the slave, which is true. But if you got to keep going back to the <laughs> on the penny, you got to update your resume. When was America great? It has sold the brochure of greatness, the idea of greatness, the accoutrements of greatness, but it never embraced it. And it didn't mean it for, for you. They didn't want you to be great. When was America great? Never. Never. Because it never believed it had to be. It never believed it had to do anything except tell you how great. You know, in every discernible more, uh, measure, uh, education, quality of life, infant mortality, uh, uh, mortality period. Every discernible mark that decides how evolved a society is, America scores low. You know what we score in? The highest in, not mathematics, not uh, quality, not infant mortality, uh, not health care, not quality of life. You know what we score the highest in? Confidence. Because we say dumb shit like America, make America great again. When was it great? And if you want it to be, you have to unhook from the idea that it ever has been. You cannot get to where you're going looking at what you were. You have to decide if we're going to be a nation that becomes great, 
we have to decide and take ownership of the things we've done to, to stop it from happening. Make America great again? I don't know if that ever happened, but it ain't in yesterday. It's in tomorrow. The only possibility for America to be great is forward, not backward. Every the, the further you go back, the further we go back. The only way we can move forward and truly become a great nation full of so much promise is to believe that we are not great. The minute you think you have arrived, you already fallen behind. And we have fallen behind in every discernible measure. Make America great again. How about make America great for once? That's a little note from the GED section. Oh, man, we have so much to unpack. But before we start going through these, I'd like to welcome all of y'all to Real Life, the radio shows. I am your host, Jenna Kepra, alongside my partner, Brother Roz. Before we get started, Roz, I want to go through this last piece of this video. Um, sure. This, this is the video where... Uh, the white European lady, I believe she was British, was talking about the history of uh, black people over in Europe. Yeah. Now, it had maybe about two minutes worth of, uh, uh, what would you call it, uh, elevator music, but it had sayings from uh, some of these uh, who they would, who they would think are note noteworthy people. So, uh, Katie Hopkins. Uh, rescue boats I'd use gunships to stop immigrants <laughs> no I don't care uh, that was her quote mm -hmm. uh, Donald Trump's quote is I will build a, a great great wall on our southern border and I will have Mexico pay for that wall mark my words <laughs> they talking about that on CNN and Fox right now uh, next one is uh Benjamin Israel has beat him up, not once, but repeatedly. Beat them up so it hurts so badly until it's unbearable. Is that Benjamin Netanyahu? Is that how you, okay. Yeah, because I just totally uh, destroyed it. But yeah. It's all good. He is Netanyahu, that's his name. Yeah, he's, he's a, a, a warmonger. Yeah. Uh, yeah. His uh, seat right now. But that's for a later conversation. This next one is Donald Trump. I have a great relationship with African-Americans. As you possibly have heard, I have, I just have great respect for them. And they like me. I like them. Donald Trump. Uh, Angela Davis. In a racist society, it is not enough to be non-racist. We must be anti-racist. Now, this is a Bible quote. The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet were drawn, yet they were drawn swords. Hmm. That sounds like Holly Selassie. Um, yeah, and this is, uh, this is also a Bible verse. Uh, let me give you that last Bible verse real quick. Sure. Uh, that was Palms 55, 21. Okay, this sure. one is Revelation 17, 4. And okay. the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color. 
And I'm just going to read a few more of these because it's quite a bit. Okay, and this is another Bible verse. Palms 49.11. Their inward thought is that their houses shall continue forever and their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands after their own names. And this will be the last one that I will uh, go over. Another Bible verse, 1 Maccabees 3.48, and laid open the book of the law, wherein the heathen had sought it to paint like where the heathen had sought to paint their likeness, the likeness of their images, excuse me. And that's related to putting themselves within the Bible. Now we had some wonderful clips, some some wonderful clips. And I like to start right here. Uh like him, we learn to swallow and not to find bitter the venom of servitude. That was uh oh. I find I find that we're in that situation right now. Uh not, not everyone, but as a as a whole, we have gotten to the point to where we can argue about everything but the problem. So where do you want to go with this, Brother Ross? And can't wait um, phone lines. What I think is this. There's a major collective of our people who are very comfortable with things being the way that it is. They just want a more comfortable position in the system that already exists. They don't want to change anything. They don't really care about that. They just are living their lives within the system that is that they were born into. They pretty much don't see much of anything wrong with it, and they just immerse themselves within it. But they want better treatment within that system. So I remember we talked about this on Tando a long time ago. You know, some of our people have become what we've had to endure, and they want to remove the white man's boot from your neck and replace it with their own. So in other words, the mentality that some of us exhibit is identical to that of the white supremacists. The ideologies we espouse are very similar to that of the white supremacists. The way we think about other black people, whether it's foreign blacks, Africans from Africa, blacks from the Caribbean, Caribbean Africans, whoever it is, the, the things that some of us say is identical to that of the white supremacists. But yet, because of the fact that they might be getting a decent paycheck, they're able to buy the, um, like, like was, was said in one of the videos, the accoutrement of uh, greatness by D.L. Hughley. We can buy the nice car. We can have the house with the white picket fence. We can have the, you know, model type wife and seemingly the ideal children that from the outside looking at it seems to be ideal. But in reality, we're just as rotten to the core as the people who dominate us. And, it's, uh, to me, it, you don't even have to have those accoutrements because depending on what group you claim to allegiance to, then you can be a not rich person, but you might subscribe to an anti-African aboriginal stance, which means you're not getting the money. You're a working class person, but your attitudes towards immigrant black people are detrimental to us coalescing around solving problems. And it's because you now choose to identify as not being African at all, 
and, you know, I'm from America and I have no connection to those people and everything else, it's easy for you to take a similar stance. Um, it ties into what I said on the last show when I was hearing some of the Aboriginal people pretty much saying that they didn't care what happened to the immigrants on the border, that they were being placed, their children were being placed in cages, being separated from their families, they were being severely mistreated, put in concentration camps, you name it, it's being done to these people, and they don't care. And I remember I was talking to someone and I said, you know, when what we're seeing happening to them is identical to what has already been done to our people. So the origins of that was the slave trade, but you can go back to as recent as Katrina and you see the same treatment where people were, you know, you know, forcibly removed from their homes by this natural disaster. And yet when they would tell the um, authorities that saved them or picked them up from whatever dire straits they were in, in the midst of the hurricane, they would tell them, look, I have relatives in this part of the country, in this state, and I'll prefer for you to stay there so I can connect with that family, hopefully be able to live with them temporarily and get myself set up in a new, a new place, but be close to family. And the white, and they would just, the, the, the colonizers would just shift them all over the country. And some of them went to the whitest areas humanly possible. I remember I saw, I think it was like a 60 Minutes episode, and there was this black family from Louisiana. They said they wanted to go to the, um, I think, Houston, Texas area because they had relatives there. And they'd put them on a bus all the way to like the middle of Utah. And they were the only black family in the entire area. And they were so uncomfortable, but they interviewed the white families that were there. And regardless of what they might really feel, because I just suspect white people are practicing racism until I see otherwise, um, they presented a really positive, nice, and in, in inviting air on camera. And the black family said they were completely uncomfortable with the situation, but you know they did feel okay that the people were nice to them. But I'm just thinking the news cameras are there, so they could be nice to you when the cameras are there, and then when you leave everything changes. You know, white people, you just don't know what you're going to get with them. I hope that they're treated properly and equitably and, and given the assistance they need, but they never followed up with them to find out what their lives have been, but they just dumped them in the middle of, you know, Utah when they asked to go to Texas. And so what you're seeing with the, the people on the board is the same thing. They're separating them. Some of the children are disappearing. And, and a lot of people are, and even some politicians have come out saying that pretty much they're going into child sex trafficking some of these children are never seen again. And I'm like, when they're finished perfecting the terrorism of those people on the border, why do we think we're immune to it? Because every time they do something diabolical to another group, the last and most, most deadly recipients of what they have planned are black people. Every time, yeah. every time. And we want to ignore it and act like, okay, well, it's not us, it's them. And they're immigrants anyway. And they're taking our jobs and all the same things that we've heard for generations to generation that, that black and white people have been told in order to turn them against another group of people who are running from tyranny in their country that most likely the U.S. is behind. When you see people from El Salvador, it's the U.S. who destroyed El Salvador. It's the U.S. who created the, the FARC wars in Colombia. It's the U.S. behind all of this stuff going on over here. So the people you see coming here are coming here because this area is stable. It's an area that's known where, hey, if you come here, this is what's told to them, that you can make a way for yourself here. And it doesn't mean illegal, just you can make a way for yourself to take care of your family and relative safety where people aren't going to kidnap you from your house and chop you into pieces with a machete because you don't like the drugs that are being sold in your area and the guns that are killing young people there. And you might say something to someone and it gets to the wrong person, so they decide to kill your whole family. That's the type of stuff that happens in um, El Salvador, San Salvador, the, the capital city, and that's what they're running from. You know, just like Trump just said, the people from the Bahamas can't come here. Um, they had a boatload of people turned away because they didn't have the proper visas, 
according to one of the guys who was on the boat from America. And they're like, well, wait a minute. How am I supposed to find my visa or my passport in the middle of a hurricane? You mean to tell me because <laughs> Trump makes this false statement about Bahamians being criminals that you're turning away people whose utter existence has been completely destroyed by a hurricane? But that's what's happening. And not many people have spoken out about it. Some people have, but not, it's not, there's no big cry about it. Mainstream media is staying away from it. So, I mean, the, the, that's what I think of it. I just think that a lot of us are so invested in the way things are, there, aren't, there isn't a critical mass of us that are really disgusted with what's happening around us and has been happening to us for decades and longer than decades. It's been hundreds of years, but most acutely in the last few decades. We're just getting in where we fit in. And, you know, like Dave so eloquently said, some of us are becoming what we had to endure. So we take on the mindset. Franz Fanon had it on the title of his book, Black Skin, White Mask. So they look like me and you, but their thought process, the, the, the um, operating system for their brain computer is a white one and a racist white one. The difference is they're, they're looking in the mirror and hating what they see versus them being a white person looking at a black person and hating what they see. Okay. That's the only, that's what I would say. What, what, where did you want to go from there? Well, uh, just to, uh, just to address the, uh, the, all of that was was brilliant how you broke it down. I just want to give my take uh, as far as why we do what we do. Uh, sure. I can't remember which video it was, but it was talking about just constantly generation after generation being subjugated and what have you. Uh, what we learn is that we are the easy targets. And when you find out who the easy targets is, a lot of us, especially the ones that want to get over, we tend to focus on that. So with that being said, with the, even with the Aboriginal thing, right? Cause I don't believe mm-hmm. it's completely wrong. We have had this conversation several times and uh, oh, yeah. the only, the only thing that I say different is, you know, I continue to ask the question, well, where did those people come from? Uh, because all of the monuments and uh, the landmarks that have been placed here, are of African people, but those are the same people that they claim to descend from. So that's where I differ. But what happens is that once again, we are such, our culture has become to be subjugated. So we subjugate ourselves because that's the only people that we could do that to, that we don't necessarily have to uh, answer for. So when you find people who don't know nothing about their history, and this is a lot of the uh, the Aboriginal crowd that I know, uh, up until this uh, whirlwind of, excuse my metaphor, but up until this big uh, conversation over being Aboriginal, uh, nobody I knew growing up was talking about that. When I would mention my grandmother speaking about being Cherokee, like I would get clowned, if not ganged, so this is totally different right now. But what happens is that all of them can jump on that. They could go on Facebook or Twitter or whatever they own, and they can attack other black people verbally. Don't necessarily have to be the truth. It could have sprinkles of truth in it, but it don't necessarily have to be true. And they can get away with that. They can get away with it. That's the whole thing because nobody can explain where they come from per se. They could just uh, 
kind of roundabout tell you about what something they heard about. So I never take that. I take that with a grain of salt, but I also have to understand that same mentality that we're talking about. Just uh, that we have been cultured to do this to each other because that's the way that we could get away with it. So that's how I look at it. Uh, if anybody that's listening. I wanted to add to that. Okay. Quick. Before you do that, I was just saying, if anybody want to add to that, all you have to do is uh, open your mic up and we're going to go through the rest of these. But go ahead, Ross. No problem. What I would liken it to is this, because what you also find in some of the Aboriginal circles, not all, but some in the more prominent ones that are anti-Black or anti-African in some way, you'll find that they'll say that, um, um, you know, slavery happened in reverse and all these other, you know, things that don't coincide with actual history um, in a lot of ways. And what I liken it to is what happened with the um, untouchables in India. Now, in India, they, the main religion is Hinduism, and then you have Islam, and you have some Christians there, but there's mostly Islam and Hinduism that is the two major branches of religious expression there, and then Buddhism is there too. But um, what happened was the untouchables, because they fall into the Hindu system, so they're at the bottom caste, they're the original Indian people who migrated there from Ethiopia, and they're the darkest. So the Brahmin caste is the lightest of them all that have more Europe, more and more Europeanized features as far as the aquiline noses, the really, really straight hair, um, and things of that nature. So as a result, they're held in a higher regard, higher esteem, and they're the, the highest caste in their society. So to, to, for them to maintain a relationship with Hinduism is to maintain a relationship with their abuse and their terrorism, because... Um, untouchables, no other cats can physically touch you or they're considered unclean and there's pretty no, pretty much almost no way of them quote-unquote cleaning themselves in the spiritual sense once they've been touched by an untouchable. Untouchables aren't able to go out and buy clothes like normal people. They're known to actually take clothes off of dead people in the graveyards in order to clothe themselves. This is still happening to this day. Um, you have stories of untouchable women being raped and then beaten and burnt, burnt to death because the uh, people from the other cats are who is raping them and they don't want it to get out that they actually had sex with an untouchable, so they'll rape her, gang rape her, which is known to be profuse in certain parts of India, and then they'll just discard of the body. So what a lot of the untouchables were doing was converting to Islam, because in Islam there's no caste system. So in order to release themselves from the tyranny of being Hindu and the, and the, the stigma of being an untouchable, they, train, they switch over to Islam and they're able to fit into society and be treated more like a normal human being. So I look at the, the some of the ADOS people, it's the same psychology. If I'm an Aboriginal, I don't have to claim, lay claim to slavery or to being African, which connotates subconsciously being a slave or being enslaved in some capacity. So it's a way of shedding that. The same way um, some people use religion as that means as well. You might have um, uh, some of the Hebrew Israelite communities will completely you know, distance themselves from anything African, but is distancing themselves from the transatlantic slave trade. They'll lay claim to what happened to the Hebrews in Egypt, which was already proven to be false. As far as historically speaking, there's no record of Hebrews ever being enslaved in Egypt or building any of the major temples or, or pyramids or monuments in Egypt as well. And that's been like, documented historically speaking. So as a result, it's a way of not laying claim to that African heritage at all, even though they might actually look like a West African. <laughs> you look at them and you'll see, you know, a West African ethnic group in their physical appearance, but they're not African, they're Hebrew. So it's the same thing, I think, is to shed that, that stigma that comes along with being 
um, an African, which in modern times, saying that you're African or associated with Africa connotates being a slave, even though the origin of the term slavery is a European word that comes from the Slavic people. So um, it, it, that's how I look at it. It's just something that's taken to an extreme that becomes detrimental in the, in the ways that we are unable to relate to each other for superficial reasons and, um, and find new ways of pretty much disliking each other and saying denigrating things to each other for a concept that we chose to embrace that took us away from our personal shame in some form or fashion. So I also add that to it as well. So I try to be um, patient and understanding because for some of our people, it's just a painful thing to be able to acknowledge some of the things that have happened to us because no other group has had them happen to them like it's happened to us. So that's something else that I wanted to toss in on that particular subject. Well, let's, uh, well, before we uh, go any further, let me just get this out the way. You are listening to Real Life, the radio show. Uh, comes on every Tuesday, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you have any questions or comments, by all means, give us a call. That number is 719-284-5278. That number again is 719-284-5271. And the pen is 70637. Press star to open your mic. We'll get to you as soon as possible. Um, the next one I want to get into was the uh, the the old uh, the old uh, she the black lady right the lady who uh, whose mother was black who had okay, yes. children with a white man and uh, and had her and then she also had children with a white man and had their white daughter. Now, uh, for those of you that didn't see this in the uh, thread, this woman, the best way that I could describe her would to be, she looks like a, like an albino. That's what she looks like. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and the genes were so dominant from uh, wherever her mother's father was, her grandson who, uh, her grandson who her daughter had, you could still see the genes in him also. So that was a, a totally weird dynamic. How uh, I understand what she, I understood what she was saying about her mother, because her mother was, uh, and she showed a lot of uh, prominent features herself, but everybody else in that room, <laughs> everybody else in that room, whether they had black blood in them or not, you would not see it if they hadn't told you. What was what were you thinking when you uh pulled this video up? Well, I say what I thought about is that this system is so toxic that you have people who look like them who actually have black blood. So even though they don't look, you would look at them and think they're a white person off the rip. There's no way, like you said, you would be able to look at them and discern that they have black blood at all. But there's always a possibility that if they have a child, that child might come out with the dominant genes of those black ancestors, even though they themselves look white. So it kind of reminded me like we have people who look like them, who look white, who could pass if they wanted to, it would make their lives a lot easier. 
and they are staunch in holding on to their blackness because they were raised to be proud of their black heritage and respect and love their black ancestry. So they're holding on to it. And you got people who are what Dr. Wilson would describe as crystal black and they want anything but to be African. Mm. And not only that, but um, again, it goes to show you, you never know who would align themselves with your cause because these people, obviously, regardless of what they look like, the ones who spoke, they were staunch in their understanding that they were black and aligning themselves with black people, even to the point of looking insane when they would go for jobs and things and they're checking off black and they're like, you can't do that because to the white person, they can't tell them. And what does Neely Fuller say? It's the white people who, who set who's in what race. And they don't look anything like black people, but they understand their genetics. And then I'll juxtapose that to gay Edgar Hoover. He also is mixed race. He has an entire black side of his family. Um, Gus on the Cows, also there's an interview that this same person did with um, Gil Noble when I was a child. Her name is Millie McGee. And she outlines his, his history as a black person, that he has a, a vast black family. And she even, if I remember correctly on Like It Is, she talked about the fact that there were two cousins that threatened to expose him and they disappeared. Nobody ever saw them again. And, um, and they believed that J. Edgar Hoover had them all, those two cousins disappeared. Um, so this man was a man who was so terrified of being exposed. And mind you, I remember there was a, a high-ranking FBI agent who worked directly under J. J. Edgar Hoover and did like, you know, got direct orders from him to go do certain missions and things like that. And he said it was a, it was a long known rumor in the job that he was black and that the reason he embraced being homosexual was to prevent having a child and possibly having what I just said about that other woman happen where he has this baby that comes out looking black and he can't explain it because he would then have to acknowledge that he has black blood and that he's actually a mixed race person. So again, I always hold Jagger Hoover up as the poster child for what, how, how twisted and um, fratricidal self-hatred can be because he was the deadliest thing to black people that damn near ever walked the face of the United States of America. And he was half black himself, completely hiding it, even though it was known and people spoke about it in hushed tones. But he was so hell-bent on not exposing that he was black, especially on a genetic level, that he preferred to be homosexual than to actually make babies and potentially have that information come out on a genetic level when he had children. That's self-hatred for you. That is deep self-hatred. It's as deep as it gets. And I always juxtapose it to that story with those, um, those people in that video who pretty much, like you said, you know, the, the, the mom, she looks albino. She has uh, pretty much straight blonde hair, but she looks albino. Um, and you can see that there's some, some features there that aren't completely Caucasian in that regard. But like you said, most of them other people, they look exactly like white folks. And it kind of makes me think of the people from the Andaman Islands. I was recently looking at some pictures of them, and some of them have blonde hair. And people, and I've even heard some black people make these statements like, oh, yeah, they must have white in them, or they must have, they must be the original people from which you know, blonde hair and blue eyes come from because they're dark skin with blonde curly hair and some of them have blue eyes. And come to find out, genetically speaking, they're their own genetic branch of the family tree. And they found that the blonde hair actually comes from their amount of fish intake because they're islanders. 
So they're um, pretty much, they eat a lot from the sea and from some of the oils and things that they get from these fish, it makes their hair blonde in combination with their own unique genetic signature that, that has nothing to do with the genes that actually make white people have blonde hair. Yeah, he does. So they're, they're, their, they're their own unique group, and that particular trait comes from their own unique genetic profile that, that has been isolated for 60,000 years. They're the first Africans that, they the direct descendants of the first Africans that walked out of Africa and eventually boated out to the Andaman Islands, and they were isolated for 60,000 years. So they had their own genetic imprint that includes some of them being born with blonde hair. It has nothing to do with them being European or and blue eyes. It has nothing to do with them being connected genetically to any Europeans. They were isolated. So I just wanted to put that out there because I found it quite fascinating, and it'll clear up a lot of um, misinformation going around where you have some black folks saying things like that, and, and they're just pretty much talking out their backside because they never had the evidence, but they actually did recent genetic testing to show that they're their own unique genetic group in that regard to how their genes express themselves. Go ahead. What are you going to say? Oh, no. Nah, I, I wanted to uh, hear what the caller uh, have to say. Oh, there's a, there's a call. Okay. We'll yeah. Up. Area code 770. Your mic is open. What's your name? Where you calling from? What's your question or comment? Hey, can y'all hear me? Yes, sir. Greetings. Yes, yes sir. Peace and love. Greetings. Yes. What up, bro? This is Brother Sudan from um, Black Johnson. Peace, peace. What's good, my brother? It's great to hear you on the line. That's what's up. Y'all covering a lot of stuff on here, yo. <laughs> you know? We do. We go deep sometimes. We really right. do. <laughs> yeah. What you, what you wanted I mean, to add? You had a, a comment or a question or anything? Well, I I really didn't have I really didn't have a comment because I agree with everything that y'all saying and I heard most of it before you were saying some stuff that I never heard before I have to do my research on that but um but I'm not doubting it um oh I always say do your research don't believe nothing I say I always, yeah, I always yeah, say yeah. that I always give out I, books I, and things of that nature too where when necessary so people could do their own research on their own but go ahead I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I do that anyway because I, I found that when you research stuff on your own, you internalize it. Yes. It's different when somebody tells you than when you actually read it for yourself. So, Without question. Yeah. Well, what'd you say but, your name was again, Carla? Sudan. Sudan. Okay. Greetings. Because that, that, uh, that statement you just made, that uh, takes us into the uh, subject now the subject mm -hmm. of tonight could be anything but this is what it is it starts at home be proactive rather than reactive yeah now that that goes to all of the uh hello greetings we're gonna come right to you uh is that 707 my dear I, I this is my third time calling i just wasn't sure this is my first time so i didn't understand how to unmute my call but i apologize for uh, no interrupting I, I had no idea no no we'll, word we'll get right to you thank you, you uh for your patience. if you have a question or comment uh your name let us know where you're calling from and you go ahead no no I, I, my name is savita braxton i'm calling from california but let the young man who was talking first let him finish because i'm really enjoying this very much Oh, oh well, I'm, okay, I'm, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna be here. That that was me speaking. So you go. Oh, ahead. oh, okay. Well, uh, it's such an honor to be here on this live stream, and um, thank you, Brother Ron, for sending me to the email. I, I received it uh, this 
Well, I'm on to California, so you called me just in time. I should see you email me just in time, my king. My king. Wonderful, sister. That's great. I'm glad to have you here. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> and uh, what is the other um, young man's name? I didn't get his name. I'm, I'm Jim. My partner is Jenna Capra. Yeah. That's my well, partner. hello there, Mr. Jim. Uh, my other king. Yeah, this is such an honor. Yeah, this is not a normal call, but uh, this is just, um, I'm old school, so just kind of bear with me. But I did, um, no I wanted to, I had a couple things I wanted to share with you, and sure. I did write them down because it's so much, and um, knowing me, I like uh, forget, and the main thing I wanted to ask you, I'll just like it go out the window, but I did write them down. Sure. And um, you talked about um, how I, how, uh, one could pass as white, even though they're actually black, black blood in them. And I yes. do have an uncle where back in the day when I was stationed in the military, I would come from Germany and he would pick me up or he would have my cousin pick me up from um, Maryland. And he used to always say, I want a red bone woman. I don't want no black woman. I always want a red bone or a white woman. Well, you know, he was beautiful then, you know, I mean, this was my uncle, he was blackness to the T, he had such personality and everything. Do you know that man practically married a white woman, straight hair, by the time when she would talk, you would know she had some black in her. I noticed that when he started having kids with her, we had dominant genes, she had extremely recessive genes. The kids will come out more on his color and his features because she has recessive genes. Then I noticed that they had 12 kids all together, and I noticed that half of the kids, his race, is being whited out. Whited out. Very light-skinned. Whited Mm -hmm. out. And I understand that that's why I never connected with her because I wasn't quite as a wolf like I am now, but Mm -hmm. that woman... He's all into this religion. I lost him. Ross and Jim, I lost him. He's in black skin, but white spirit. He, this is not the same man. I lost him to that religion. His, that wife of his has a, this, this vile spirit. And he is an associate pastor in a small, tiny town church. And those people are just asleep. He's literally dead. He's already dead, you know, spiritually. And... Uh, he, it's really so unfortunate how he doesn't lack the understanding of preserving our ancestral genes. You can hear him when he speaks. And so I had to like totally disconnect all contact with him, with the entire family, uh, for my own safety because of him. And uh, so I haven't spoke to him, gee, about a couple of years now. So I had to really disconnect that. That's the first thing. The second thing is uh, I find it interesting how, uh, this 400-year sentence, although it's been more than 400 years that we have served, and we're still going through this, our people are still serving their sentences. And I know when I was in the seminary, all this white European teaching, I said, something about this bullcrap don't make sense. And doing my research and everything, I found out that Gadriel, the Hebrew name of G-A-D-R-E-E, Dash E L E and Gad Gabriel is Satan's name. Satan is only a title, which means accuser or prosecuting attorney. 
He's a massive deceiver. The Hebrew I studied while in the seminary is nothing like the Hebrew that I started out in its original form. Satan had got within all that Hebrew and flipped the Hebrew script to honor him. So all these new age titles that describe that Satan hides behind, like the creator or the, the most high, or I hear like this guy on YouTube called Danny Stevens, he refers to as the most high Yah, which is Yah, anything with a Y-A-H is Lucifer. Yahweh and all this stuff. And he says it's Jesus all with the J-C. Still keeping our people asleep. You know, I'm aware of that. So we have a higher divine energy of forces that protect us. But I have a really a lot of issue with, you know, we're still going through. This is our planet. And I, I'm going to try, to try to get emotional because I, I'm very passionate about this. I have so much empathy for our people that this creator or this energy force, according to the book of Enoch, the Bible is it's like a coded wicked book. It's a demonic book. It's a sacrificial book, human sacrifices, animal sacrifices. But I find that, that this creator, whatever, and the book of Enoch is right on point because everything that's happening today mirrors the book of Enoch exactly to the T. And this Divine forces or, or source, they're going to sit there and station these fallen angels called Azazel. Azazel, I know I messed up the name. And his demon um, hood rat come down to the earth and destroy the earth, mainly with these, these people, all these Neanderthals. And that is why we are in a condition that's part of the reason why. You know, I'm not saying that. You know, how could you, like, buck break and rape your own children? We have not changed. This system, this beast system, it didn't take one year to make. This took thousands of, hundreds and thousands of years to make. And yet, we have these black estuary, black aliens or these, these um, other beings I hear that's on our side, none of them come to our rescue. The Amazon fires and the Congo fires all took up the SOS signals to the heavens with no response. And how it's like we are not responsible for what happened to us. We are, I mean, and the Christian has a way of this white supremacy teaches us that because we sin, this God, which is A.K. Satan at that time, was displeased with us. Well, you know what? The flip was flipped. What's happening was the flip got script, and instead of this creator taking responsibility, we got the butt end of it, and then... 400 years, you got people like Brother Ross, I was listening to him say, social engineers, if you're born into slavery, how are you supposed to know that you're supposed to be free? How are you supposed to know that you, everything was social engineered? Our people are getting slaughtered every day, every day. And what's really, um, even the, um, the scenario with the homeless woman got, what, five years? And this white woman got two weeks? This is too much. And, and then you got the Bahamians. That was not a normal hurricane. People know that. That was a heart machine trying to kill all those people. What, 20 to 40 hours out, that machine, that door is staying over there. One area, it's genocide. And then by you not letting the people in, guess what? It may be a blessing in disguise because there's a black holocaust going on in the States right now. There is an awakening that's happening now. But like I said, I'm getting very passionate about this. Is that the best that this creator or device sources could do is send an awakening and, and uh, angel numbers? Hell with those awakenings. Come ahead and take some action. This beast system got to get destroyed. Not passively, 
with a cup of tea and cake, it's got to get destroyed. Something like this wickedness, you have to annihilate it from the, even from the ancestors, you got to annihilate from the young, you got to annihilate all the, the offspring. It has to get wiped out. Nothing can survive the roots. That's why in predicament today, because of the flood, one giant was alive named Og, and he is the father of Goliath. When you don't pull up all the weeds, this bullshit resurfaces all over again. You know all what, too? Over again. I think, I think um, thanks, for, thanks for what you're bringing. And I think what it is is that um, the, the variation of Christianity that we were given um, under enslavement is not the original Christianity. It's a Europeanized version of Christianity. And a lot of uh, things that were placed in the Bible that were used as tools to further uh-huh. better dominate the black people who who were uh, indoctrinated with this particular variation of the religion. Now, Christianity itself is an African religion, but in the way that it was given to us, it is not an African religion at all. It's been commandeered and, and utilized in a way yes. um, to better control the minds of the people who practice it, depending on if those people know the real history of the of the religion, which the vast majority of people don't. Uh, versus right. uh, the people who do. Now, the way I look at it, because a lot of people, because there's this resonance between the Hebrew experience, like I said before, it's been proven there was no evidence of Hebrews ever being enslaved in Egypt. Um, all the pyramids were built before the first Hebrew, Abraham, was born, so they never built right. any pyramids. And then in the Talmud, they claim that they built the pyramids of, of brick and straw, and there's no mud, brick, and straw pyramids in, in Kemet. They're all built of solid stone. Um, and also, you don't see Jews recreating pyramids to this day because they never built them. So right. um, they've historically shown that none of that is actually accurate, but we do have a resonance with that story based on that 400-year story from 1619 to 2019, even though it's really like 500 um, when you get, you know, you really get into the nitty-gritty of it. But the, 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 mean, the mean date that everyone follows is the 1619. And uh-huh. um, I think what we've done is we've kind of um, – superimpose their story on ourselves and we always tried to link ourselves back to the Bible that was given yes. to us under the duress of enslavement and we try to find ourselves in that narrative. And I think we just have to look at it for what it really is. We don't we don't need David and Goliath and all of that stuff. We have actual right. history to tell us exactly what's happened to us, who did it, how they accomplished it, and um yes. pretty much how we ended up here and what transpired. And when we really yes. get into that, you can better understand, because I think, you know, I could be incorrect, but I think that true history needs to be separated from religion. Religion is a personal thing. So a person, yes. whatever you choose to embrace, that's on you. That has no bearing on anybody else's life but your own. It's your personal relationship with the creator that you choose to um, bear witness to and to um, to pray to. And that's fine. But when it comes to actual history, I think when we superimpose those two or put them together, it creates a level of confusion because you're going yes. back and forth between an allegorical book and actual fact, and the two aren't going to yes. coincide. Um, right. So what you're saying is accurate as far as the genocide and what's being done to us, but it's all about pretty much mind control. And when you get into yes. something like um, King Leopold's letter to his missionaries, uh-huh. he wrote that in 1881, and it was pretty much um, – telling his missionaries that they had to use the Bible in order to take the resources from the African people who they encountered in the Congo. And he also talked about by the end of the letter that they had an entire curriculum 
with different books and stuff that laid out how to make a better slave. So everything yeah. that you read about in the Willie Lynch letter, even though the Willie Lynch letter is not an actual document, um, the person who wrote it was an African scholar by the name of um, Kwabina Fahim. And I believe he was also into mental health. And he actually wrote the book in order to help black people understand what was actually done to us. But when you look at it, there's no such person as Willie Lynch. None of the stuff that right. was written in that book was actually true in regards to it being historically true. But they were actually historically accurate because he properly diagnosed the psychology of formerly enslaved people. But the actual book, that the actual letter that I call the real Willie Lynch letter is King Leopold's letter to his missionaries because it basically says the same thing. And what he alludes to is that they had an entire curriculum of teaching people how to better dominate black people using religion so that they didn't have to use force, which they ended up using anyway. So mm -hmm. when you get to that, you can see that there's a diabolical foresight to how things were done and that it was done so that they could basically have the control that they have to this day. The problem is that when you're dealing with the black experience, it's the parents that are supposed to teach their children the truth. What you asked about, how are they supposed to know about freedom? Right. It's their parents that are supposed to teach that. And I remember that um, uh, Dr. Edward Robinson from uh, Philadelphia, he has a, a really beautiful video. He just died a few years ago. Um, he died in his 90s. And pretty much he mm -hmm. talked about, he told the story of how his family knew where his family came from. They were part of the um, Songhai people from West Africa. And he said, I'll just give you a brief description. He was in a, a lecture hall, over 500 students. And he asked the, uh, the white people how many of them know where their ancestors came from. He said every single one of them raised their hands. He said not only mm. did they know what country they came from, they said they knew what city all the way down to what province and locality they came from. So they knew minute wow. details about where their ancestors were from. He asked the same thing about to the black people in the room. None of their hands went up. And his mm. daughter was with him on stage, if I remember correctly, and, and um. You know, he was like, um, our people, my family, she said, my, he said, minus you to his daughter because we know where our people came from, but none of the black, other black people in the room knew. So he told the story. He was talking about how his, um, I think, third great-grandmother got here. And what happened was she, her, her, his grandfather, her husband, was a renowned, world-renowned sculptor. So he would make um, African traditional carvings and statues and things like that. And you had the, um, the, the Portuguese and, and the whites would raid and steal his artwork. And they had done it on a few occasions. And then finally he got fed up and him and a couple other people said, we're going to fight to keep my artwork. They can't keep doing this. So she told him, look, I'm pregnant. You know, you know, if you fight them, they're going to kill you and they're going to take me into slavery. So I want you to just stay with me and then we'll have to figure something out, but do not confront these people. So he was so angry. He didn't listen to his wife. He confronted them and they did kill him. They ended up kidnapping oh. her. She was on a slave ship on her way here. Now, mind you, the ship that they were on, was a ship that was pretty much carrying illegal cargo because at that time um, bringing in new slaves on the slave ship was outlawed in the United States. So she was basically one of those last ships where Pete, it was basically done on a bet. He was um, thinking that he could actually get through the, the different um, boat caravans yeah. that were there to protect the slave that. ships coming in illegally. And what happened uh -huh. was they, they were intercepted by one of the um, ships that were patrolling the eastern part of the United States. They pretty much killed the people on the ship that were running the ship but took the slaves. And each one of the, the, the abolitionists that were on that boat, they were all white, each of them took an entire family of the people who were on the boat. So none of them had to be separated from their children or the families broken up. They took the whole family and each one of the white families 
pretty much gave them as much freedom as they could. They were living in New Jersey. His, his relatives were living in New Jersey. And as a mm. result, she had the baby shortly after she got here, and she was able to tell her daughter about their ancestry, who they were, you know, who they were, where they came from, that their people were valiant fighters against slavery and all of this type of stuff. And he said that there was a German guy who all of the, the, the um, slave masters in the past, the slave masters went to this German guy who was pretty much renowned for breaking slaves. And he asked the, all of these American, um, these American slave owners, he asked them a question. He said, do your slaves know where they come from? They said, yes. He said, do they know that they come from the Songhai people and these people were valiant anti-slave people and that they fought wars to try and save their people? He said, yes. He said, that's your problem. He said, what you got to do is, you know, if you have a woman, and he gave an example, he said, if you have a woman who's pregnant when she comes here, what you do is you wait till she gives birth, you ship that child to the other side of the country, and then you work her to death. There's no, no ancestral memory. They said there's no ancestral memory. The mother's not teaching the child anything, so you can tell the child whatever you want. Right. And that's how we lost connection to our history. Go ahead, Jenna. Ross, that was a great way to uh, segue into the next topic because we Let's have to go. move on. We're getting short on time. Uh, okay. Man. That was great, I, Ross. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. Thank you. We appreciate your call. Thank yeah. you very much. It's great to hear from you. Likewise, good to hear your voice, my dear. Send an email. Yeah. I, I like, I'm old okay. school. I like to like, Same hey, time. how you doing? <laughs> okay, stay in touch, sis. I look forward to it. All right. Thank you, man. Love you both. Thank you so much. Love Have you a good too. Evening. Thank you. You too. Peace and love. Uh, 48 Laws of Power. Uh, that what yes. you, when I said the segue, you were speaking to, uh, you were speaking to knowing what, to being proactive, excuse me, instead of reactive. Yes. And uh, that 48 Laws of Power clip talk yeah, about that. I'm gonna, mm -hmm. back when we get closer to the end of the uh show but okay yeah, knowing you're knowing what you're going up against and how to approach it is one of the biggest things and i think while while we have a focus on ending racism uh as a whole we don't have a plan about how we're going to go about it that doesn't mean that all of us have to do the same exact thing. Right. But we have to have an understanding. And that is something that we have yet to achieve an understanding to where this side could do whatever they had planned on doing to put it in, in racism, whether we're talking about on a personal level, on a local level, or on a global level we would much rather find time to fight with the guy that's supposed to be helping us break down the system. And a lot that, of times we end up doing it with family as well. Go ahead. What did you say, Roz? No, I was going to say, I, I completely agree with you. Um, it's that we replace real issues with frivolous ones because we don't want to deal with the real issues. It's to me, it's a psychological form of avoidance. So, you know, you don't really want to deal with the problem. It's almost like, why, why drug addicts do drugs? They do drugs because they feel pain that they want to go away. So they take drugs to numb them. Some of, you know, the actual addicts, they're taking drugs to numb that pain, whether it's emotional pain or physical pain. So it's a distraction from reality. And normally when they go through um, any sort of uh, drug counseling, the first thing they have to do is not just stop using drugs. 
but also deal with the problems that drove them to use the drugs in the first place. So with those those people who practice that technique of avoidance, um, arguing with other black people becomes a drug because it's a means of avoiding the fact that you got major work to do to actually deal with the people who are making your life a living hell every day. And you prefer not to deal with that. So as a result, it's easier to do the crabs in the barrel routine. That, that's pretty much what I see it as. And, and I think there's a lot of us who have that as our crutch. You know, we're, we're real quick to fly off the handle with another black person, you know, talk to them in a denigrating way, even threaten physical violence, all of that. But yet around the same white people that terrorize you every day at work, you're friendly, you're passive, you're respectful, even when they're disrespectful. And you are, you might say you're not scared of them, but you actually are. Because the way that they used to crack the whip in the past, they just use your paycheck. So the paycheck is the psychological whip. You don't have a job anymore. That's no more paycheck. You got to explain to everybody in your family why you don't have a job. So you accept, you know, mistreatment in order to keep that job. You accept mistreatment in order to get their exact hours because if they send you home early, you're not going to get a full paycheck. And that might be a problem depending on your financial situation. So there's all kinds of checks and balances to keep the worker be black people from really wanting to do something about the system collectively. That, that's what, what, what made the genius of Martin Luther King when he had the bus boycott. He got everybody on the same page. Nobody rode the bus. It crippled the entire city. They lost millions of dollars in no time flat, and they were begging black people to ride the bus. And they said, we will treat you with respect and have you ride in the front of the bus instead of giving up your seat to white people as long as you ride the bus because we're losing all of that money. Like people only understand two things, such loss of finances or loss of life. And once you hit them in the pocket, you can nonviolently get things done. Dan, what you were going to say? Oh, I was. I got disconnected. Um, I was going to say that, in a nutshell, it's fear and dependency that just keeps a lot of us. Uh, uh, I don't know what word I want to use. Keeps a lot of us in. In the system. It's a codependent relationship, yeah. It's an abusive, yeah. codependent relationship. Right. I because agree. If you, yeah, because if you fear what's going to happen to you, I think that haunts a lot of people. And then if you're dependent on the same people that you're trying to get away from, it's kind of like a double-edged sword. So it's like you move away from them, but you're dependent on them. So when you move away from them, all the things that you get from them is is gone, and now you have to get it for yourself. Exactly. And and how do you do that when no black people manufacture anything? Everyone who manufactures everything either look Chinese or they look white. So you still got to go back to the same people oppressing you and get put your hand out to those same people who mistreated you. And it's 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 a self fulfilling prophecy of damp mental damage. Well, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, and on the flip side. I think a lot of people fear, and it's a, it's another form of fear, but it's on the other side of the scale, that if you make some noise, you know, by being successful or by, you know, speaking out against it, they know what's coming next. So they kind of suppress you from doing that to make sure that, you know, you don't bring that noise or you don't bring that trouble their way. So they be quiet about it. So that's kind of like uh, this, this, 
excuse me, I'm sorry, I agree, but that's why we shouldn't have leaders. Because we always get somebody to the front to watch them get their head cut off. But go ahead. Right. It, it, right. And it has to be a system. We have to create a system to where you don't necessarily, like if, if you were to, you, you can kill a thousand white people right now, but white supremacy was still going on. Even if you, even if it was like Donald Trump and whoever we, you know, whoever they push to the forefront as their leaders, but really they don't have a leader. It's, it's a system. So I think we as black people always fall into that trap of having like this one person put up on the pedestal. And I think they just knock that person off the pedestal and then we're back at square one again. You got to start all over again. Okay. But if we had a system where, you know, where it was just something uh, like a way of life or thing that we just, things that we just did there where there's no one person that you can kind of just cut off and stop it. You know, like if we all decided to support black businesses right now, you know, there's no one person that you can kill to, to destroy that or to eliminate that. You know what I'm saying? Yes, sir. That's the brilliance of Neely Fuller with the United Independent um, Coal System concept. It's about everybody Uh, being a leader themselves. Just like when you look at white people, every white person is a deputy in the system of white supremacy. That's why the average white person will run up on you, ask you what you're doing, you know, want to mind your business because they're all conditioned to play their role in the system. We have been conditioned to look for a savior. And, you know, uh-huh. as a result, like you said, everything that we do, they thwart it by taking out the head. And once the head is cut off, the body <laughs> is over. Right. And uh, we have to have that exactly like you said, that, that individual, independent leader concept United. where everybody's a leader of one, of yourself. And you just cultivate right. leaders who think in the same direction as far as collectively doing things to coalesce around solving problems like the one you named us all supporting black businesses. Everybody can individual individually do that. And there's no one leader that they can mow down and knock them out the right. picture and make you say, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore because they're going to kill me. Well, they're going to have to kill a few million people and they're not going to be able to do that. Yeah. So they you know, have just to change the strategy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely which right. They will, which they will. And I, what I think that a lot of people fear is that when it gets to that point, then that's when the physical, not saying that it's not, we're not at war right now, but we are, but that's when the real, you know, uh, white supremacy versus the victims of white supremacy will come to a head and it's like, it's on now. You know yeah, what I mean? You mean I think they fear, we fear that. Collectively, we fear that. You talking yeah, about man, I agree. is that the uh is that the one you're talking about kicking off where they start shooting? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like the, the what 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 we all think as as war with the bombs and the guns and you know, not the little uh what do I call it? Because we at war like chemical warfare, biological warfare, psychological warfare, like those are the, the things that are being used. You know, as opposed to like when slavery was, it was more physical. I think we fear that. Collectively, we fear that. And we know that it's coming. So anything that keeps us from that not happening, you know, that's what we use our energy for, to to stop it from 
the inevitable because it's going to happen. If yeah. we if we if we achieve anything that white people can't control, then that will be the time that they have to put drop the hammer down and say, okay, you're gonna have to physically, you know. But to be honest, I don't even think that they're ready for that. Yeah. <laughs> Down here, we yet. <laughs> well, we <laughs> ready. They are very much ready down here in the south. Mm. We are. We are not ready. So I'm, I mean, like if it. I mean, they're. I don't think that they're collectively ready for like for us to be collected and doing things. I, I don't think they're ready for that. I think they're just ready for the normal things that we do. Like. I think they already know exactly what we're going to do when they do X, Y, and Z. You, you get what I'm saying? Well, yes, that's 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 why I named the show uh, what I named it. Everything we went over to uh, tonight was all about being proactive and not reactive because we are the exact reverse. Uh, one of those quotes that was on the end of that video that was playing the uh, elevator music and again, she said, uh, rescue boats who rather have gunships. This is the same thing that happened during Katrina and probably during some of the hurricanes in uh, Miami. Uh-huh. Uh, this is this is the game plan. They, they always been proactive as far as uh-huh. whether we're talking about predicting, which, which I say they're just preparing or right. we're talking about just being physical, like you was talking about. They come out, if they can't beat us by the law, they come just drag us out and hang us. Or nowadays, mm-hmm. you will be shot. Someone will be shot or beat beat to a pup or choke to death. Soon you're going to see an officer stabbing somebody. Like they just trying to figure out any type of way to uh, get rid of us in the in the most inhumane ways just to see if they can get away with it. But uh, real quick before Brother Rods hit us with the prayer, because we're 10 minutes out, if there's anybody else on the uh, on the call tonight that would like to give their thoughts before we go, now's the time. Uh, if not, Brother Rods, you give a, uh, there's a, Yeah, there's a couple of things I wanted to say before we got off real quick. Um, to me, what y'all discussing ties into the video we played, I think it was last week, with the brother who was in jail with the white supremacists. And the white supremacists said, y'all black people ain't no threat to us. Y'all kill each other. Give one of y'all an AK and, and a Cadillac, and y'all kill, take each other out. So y'all are no threat to us. You know, y'all are not prepared. If, if you know, the food stops coming and the water stops being delivered, black people are finished. We white people, we up in the mountains growing our own food, living in our own community. The young children learn how to shoot guns. So they're, they're constantly looking for ways of staying ahead of the game in terms of being prepared for any sort of confrontation. And the only people black people are at confrontation with is each other. We, have, we are no threat to anything white people are doing with the way that most of us are living in, in this day and time and in this reality. Or if there's going to be any, any combat, you have to change the minds first. And there's too many minds focused on the person in the mirror for us to be a threat to anybody else except the person in the mirror. That's, that's my take on that. The other thing, too, is the clip where you heard the people talking about they, they, they're scared of the blacks, they're scared to go out at night, and you had the little black children that was, had rocks thrown at them. That was Queens, New York, in, like, 1978. And the title of the video was Trump voters, today's Trump voters back in 78, because those 
adults who are saying that their children are the Trump voters of today. So mm-hmm. we're witnessing the next generation right. of what they taught their children back in 78 when that video was filmed. And I thought it was very poignant to show how white people are intergenerational and they look forward right. into the future in terms of dominating black people. And the other those, thing that I thought was fascinating. Go ahead. I was saying those are, those are the people who raised them. Exactly. So when they talk about the apples not falling too far from the tree, that, That's it. We're seeing the aftermath of that right now. Those are the offspring exactly. of them. That's I try to tell black people that all the time, and they just trust the the white smile, and it, mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's no conditioning. <laughs> it's yeah. conditioning. And the last thing That's before true. we close out, the very first first video it got cut off early, but it was Mike Tyson breaking down how boxing is gang related, and that it all started from gangs. And that um, he said there was a famous um, uh, promoter who would tie a blue sash in the corner, which was the origin of the blue and the re- blue and the red corner. And that um, he, he, the part that got cut off was where he talked about in the local politics, they would either have gang wars to see which political party would dominate. And what they started to do was create these boxing matches. So if their boxer won, they didn't have to have the gangs go to war. And that's yeah. how certain districts were won by Republicans and Democrats. That red and blue corner stands for Republicans and Democrats. That's where the wow. origin of all of that in boxing comes from, is the fact that it was two political gangs, and they were physically fighting for dominance through the personages of two boxers. And if the one in the red corner won, the Republicans had that particular district for a number of years until, they were, until the blue corner was able to find a fighter that could beat the red corner winner. winner. So that's how stuff was playing out alongside with um, voting in some areas. You had literally violent confrontations. And if they couldn't get to a boxing match, then the two gangs would actually fight and kill each other. So to avoid the the, the shed, they would just put the two boxes in the ring, red corner, blue corner, whichever one won. That was the political party who dominated that district until the other corner was able to find a fighter that could beat their top man. So I just wanted to put that out there because it got cut off, but I thought Mike Tyson just did it very, very brilliantly to just display that, you know, Tupac said it, you know, the government's a gang. <laughs> the police are a gang. The military's a gang. It's all mm-hmm. gang-related. Mm-hmm. And the organized crime learned it from the original organized crime, the U.S. government. They sent their criminals and the po- and the power And the power acquired just is just passed on to the next generation. Exactly. Exactly. And that goes so to maintain it. Right. Exactly. So we need to start thinking in the future like we used to. They got it from us. We've just it's it's been wiped from our collective genetic memory and it's been embedded in their memory. So they do it and, and they successfully dominate us with each generation. Yeah. Everything that they plan that comes to fruition, we have not stymied or thwarted any of their machinations because we are being reactive and not proactive. We're not raising our children to be critical political thinkers. We're not raising them to understand that in every area of people activity, that's 11 of them, economics, education, entertainment, healthcare, labor, law, politics, religion, sex, war, and technology. We should be training them to think of how we can dominate and run those areas of people activity for ourselves. Right now, black people don't run, own, or dominate any of those those areas of people activity whatsoever. And those are all the different areas of people activity that exist. They are all dominated by white people. So when you go back to our ancestors that were in chattel slavery, they did not run any of those areas of people activity either. So don't let them fool you because you're not wearing shackles and sitting in a field and plucking cotton. 
you're still in the subservient position that is akin to slavery. It's just not overt. Mm-hmm. And we contribute to our own enslavement every day. One of those videos was entitled How We Enslave Ourselves. And like they said, for a tyrannical government to rule, the citizenry must be in line with what they're doing because there's way more of us than them. So if we turn away from their system, they have no one to rule. Mm-hmm. But we are complicit in it by us just going along with the program, continuing to put our money into, into things that are against our best interests, and continuing to fight amongst ourselves and not actually dealing with the real problem. We're creating soap operas in the black community where black people are against other black people, while the people who dominate all of us just continue to drive the, the, the slave ship we call the planet Earth right now. Yeah. Yes, sir. Uh I just like to thank all of the uh, callers and the listeners. Me too. I have thoroughly enjoyed y'all tonight, but we have to get them out of here. Uh, yes. Brother Ross, can you hit us off with the prayer before we go? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thanks again for everybody, to everyone for spending your Tuesday evening with us. Thanks to everyone who's not with us tonight, but we'll be checking out the archives once we get to post it. Um, we look forward to seeing you all next week, Tuesday. I hope you found this this program tonight to be of constructive value, and we greatly appreciate each and every one of you. We'll say the prayer now and close out. Creator, I ask you to help us to remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us to remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times in all places, each and every time that we are in contact with another black person. It has been time. Let's replace white supremacy with justice ASAP and let's end the prison industrial complex as well as human trafficking. I am in the love of the all and all love is in me. I am a part of the all and the all is a part of me. I am one with the all and the all is one with me. I can succeed as a part of the all and fail as an individual. I can be all that I wish in the all as long as my wish is to stay in the all. I am never alone. The all is. I am. The all can. I can. The all does. I do. Once again, thank you all for spending your Tuesday evening with us. Please stay safe and out of the hands of slave catchers. If you have to drive in a car, make sure you buckle up. That's one of the first means of defense from being stopped in the first place. Um, If you do imbibe and get intoxicated, stay where you are until you're sober before you go out into the street so you cannot be harassed for being intoxicated in public. Live a codified existence that helps you to avoid and minimize contact and minimize conflict with both black people especially and also the most deadly apex predator on the planet, racist man, racist woman, and racist child. Thanks again. Stay safe, and we'll see you again next Tuesday. Creator winning. Willing. Peace and love, and one love to each and every one of you. Peace and love. Peace. 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 If you manage a team, you... I'm 
Transfiguration. Uh. 